Hey, this is Andy Jenkins and welcome back to the podcast. Here is what I would love for you to do. Take a minute, follow the link in the show notes and go download the new, actually, yeah, I guess you could say it's new, LifeLift app. That app, it's really about a month and a half, two months old. I've been working on it throughout the fall, uploading videos into it. The free 21 Day Challenge video course is in there. The podcast is in there. Some of you are listening to this from there uh, where it's released earlier. Other video courses, two audiobooks of mine, are completely free inside the app. And so I would love for you to take a look at it, give me some feedback on what you think uh, about the navigation, about the ease of how you get around everything. One of the things that I really wanna do is to provide ongoing value for you uh, every week through, through this means, through the podcast, through the website. But more and more, as people are doing more on the phones, there really becomes this means to do it in the app. And so, uh, that's one of the recent projects that I've taken on is to uh, put a lot of the content in the app. It makes it easier to access. And so that's it. Take a look at the app and download it. Let me know what you think. And there are some audiobooks again, for free as well as some video courses all unlocked right there. You don't have to do anything except for create your own login. Uh, it doesn't put you on an email or anything. Most of you who listen to this already have that anyway. Take advantage of that. All right commercials out of the way. Here's what I want to talk to you about today is this topic that Jesus came to make it easy. Now, I don't mean easy in the sense of life's going to be just cush. Life's going to be simple. I, I mean, I, I mean this, the simultaneous tension of most of the big things in life are on the other side of hard. Okay, so, you know, you, you run into new parents or, or people that are about to be parents and they think they are so busy right now, right? They're so busy. We just got married. We're moving into a house or we're, you know, setting up house together or whatever. And then they find out they're pregnant and then, you know, we're going to have a kid. And I go, Haha, that's going to be a little bit harder than what you're thinking right now because I've done it before. Or you're, you're going to take control of your health. You're going to lose weight. You know what? That's going to be difficult. Or you're going to mend a relationship. That's going to be hard. You're going to build a business. That's going to be a little bit harder than what you thought. You're going to, whatever it is that you're going to do, most of the time, leadership guru John Maxwell says it like this, most people have uphill dreams, but downhill habits. Most of the great stuff in life. Uh, most of the stuff that's of great value, in fact, I'm opening up the advanced book right here. Um, I, I talk about that in, I think it's chapter 48. The name of the chapter is, Have You Bought the Dream or Are You Renting It? Uh, most of the great stuff is uphill. And if you are just renting the dream, if it is not your dream, if it is not something that you value, if it is not something that you want, oh my goodness, like you're going to give up because... The great stuff in life. I mean, even even marriage. You're you're married to the right person. You're married to somebody you're on complete alignment with, on the same page. It could still be sometimes the most beautiful and frustrating and easy and simultaneously hard thing that will stretch you and grow you. So that kind of hard is not what I'm talking about at all. And that kind of ease is not what I'm talking about. What, what what I guess I'm really talking about is the tension of 
there is enough tough stuff in life. Um, even the stuff that you're called to do has challenge. Even the things that you know are part of your wheelhouse of what you are, here's the word, ordained to do, bring up unique tensions and just things to work through. Even all of that has just a measure of difficulty, just a measure of sometimes pressure. And so the ease, and when I'm saying Jesus came to make it easy, as the title of this episode says, that ease is not adding more burden than the burden of life already carries. Here, here's another way to say it. In Matthew chapter 11, one of, one of my favorite verses, he says, Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That word yoke right there, in, in our culture, we kind of miss it. We, we think of a yoke as two bulls or two farm animals being tied together by this wooden yoke, maybe even an iron yoke that connects them so they can simultaneously in tandem pull a bigger plow or pull a wagon and it be stronger by amplifying their efforts. So that's kind of what we envision when we think of a yoke. A yoke in that culture was the name that they used for a rabbi's system of teaching. Jesus says, take my yoke on you. My yoke, my system of teaching, all my rules, my requirements, my regulations, my religious expectations are easy. That burden is light. Why? Because life already has enough burden of itself. This is why Paul says in Galatians, bear one another's burdens because people have burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Don't add more to them by your religious teaching. Because why? My yoke is easy my burden is light. In another verse, Paul actually says, hey, don't, don't stray away from the simplicity that's in Christ. His train of thought there was, we tend to make things infinitely more complex. We tend to move towards complex religious systems. We tend to get veered into legalism. Even, and if we reject religion altogether, what we've seen over the last year is we just create a new religion that's even more burdensome. That's what the whole woke movement is. It's just another human form. Critical theory, it's just another version of religion. It's just another burden. Let me take you way back, just a little bit of maybe Old Testament history in, let me see if I can do this in five to seven minutes, and then give you really kind of the meat, the main idea of what I'm wanting to drive out. So back when Moses received the law, Ten Commandments, uh, in Hebrew, they were very efficient. You know, Moses, Old Testament Hebrew, Moses goes up on the mountain, he receives, you've seen the Ten Commandments kind of on stone, like on the movies when you see it, or you've seen it in drawings, on illustrations, maybe you see it growing up in Bible school. It has ten sentences that are written out. You know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt remember the Sabbath, thou shalt, you know, all, all of these commandments seem to be somewhat lengthy. Honor your father and mother. In the Hebrew language, it was really called the Decalogue, 10, Deca, 
10 log words, decalog, 10 words. Why? Because everything that was there was just a single word based on the verb tense and based on all of the grammar that would be on that word. Hebrew was very efficient. It wasn't even 10 rules. It was 10 words. Well, you would think people could live with 10 words. We could all remember that, right? I mean, we learned the ABCs, 26 letters of the alphabet, super quick when we we're young. You'd think 10 words, we could hang on to that. But no, religious leaders in the Old Testament times added 613 more laws to explain what those 10 words meant. They went from, and get this, 10 words to 613 not just sentences, but spelled out laws and rules. And, and you would think that 613 additional laws would be enough, but no, they created something called the Mishnah. It was the oral tradition built around those laws to explain what those laws meant. And then that wasn't enough, so they wrote the Talmud which was another set of commentary on the oral commentary that was on the 613 that was on the original 10 words. That wasn't enough. So scribes and lawyers, they added more legal commentary on the Talmud. So now you had, and they called these things, if you look at them on paper, in fact, I'll put a picture somewhere related to this. If you looked at it on paper, you would see the text and then around the text of the scripture of the Old Testament, you would find these blocks, and then around those, you'd find more blocks that were kind of pointing to those blocks. And it looks like all these blocks around blocks around blocks, almost like a maze. They were called fences and hedges around the law, effectively trying to build barriers so where people would not transgress and step out of the law. But what happened with these fences and hedges? Jesus actually uses that language. He says, you build fences and hedges that keep people out. And so everybody, in some sense, well-intentioned, honorably motivated initially was building boundaries so they didn't transgress those original 10. But the longer it went, it just wasn't easy. I mean, life was already tough. And then you added the biggest burden of all, which was the religious thing that was supposed to bring the most freedom. Now, rabbis were on the scene the time of Jesus and they were some of the guys that were given commentary about these fences and hedges and teaching people how to practically live this stuff out. Remember Jesus was a rabbi. He drops into that historical tradition so he picked up some of their practices. And so we see Jesus doing things like they did, uh, like like binding and loosing. So if a rabbi saw a rule, they might say the law says honor the Sabbath, and the rabbi might bind, meaning forbid certain things on the Sabbath, but loose other things. He might say, well, I forbid, I bind um, going and opening your business on the Sabbath, but I loose, I free you to cook and share a meal with your family or to do your yard work with your family. I mean, that's just kind of a hypothetical example that I might made up right there. I bind you from, you know, going out and doing the yard chores. I loose you to, somebody goes into to labor or if, if one of your animals is going into labor, I loose you to go work and do the things that are truly required in the moment. Binding and loosing. Now, 
you see Jesus giving this empowerment to disciples. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I've, and I've seen so many people that read this stuff or they go in, if you've ever gone to like a, an Assemblies of God church or a Pentecostal or a Charismatic, now, and, I, and I'm not against those stripes of Christianity at all. I'm just saying those tend to be the people where they're going, they can start rolling up their sleeves and go, I bind the devil and I loose this and I bind and they loose. That, that's not how it originally was done. It was all about encouraging people of how to live out the black and white text of the law in actual living color in everyday life. Uh, there were other things that the rabbis did. They, they had these phrases, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Um, that was kind of the formula they used to compare and contrast. You've heard this rabbi say that uh, if you want to do uh, this thing on the Sabbath, you've heard you've heard it said, uh, but I say, and they would contrast and say, you know, this is the way one person says it. And most of the time, they'd be honorable. They're just kind of showing their different school of thought. You've heard it said, but I say. Now, Jesus uses this language all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say, you see? Um and you would also see them talking about fulfilling the law and fulfilling the Torah by showing what the essence and the heart of it was. And again, everything that they did, their system of teaching, it was called a yoke. And so when Jesus comes in and says, hey, hey, my yoke is easy, my burden, it's light, take my yoke upon you, what he's doing is he's contrasting the weight, the burden that so many other religious leaders toss upon people and saying, of all things, life is hard. The things that you're going to do in life, raising kids is hard. Starting a business is difficult. Maintaining healthy boundaries in relationships and boundaries where these relationships can thrive. Oh, it's hard. Maintaining your sanity amidst so many crazy people in the world is difficult. We don't need to add religion to that to make things even more complex. Like this should be spirit and life should be the most freeing things that add wind into the sails of all of that. And to this, Jesus looked at Pharisees and said, like Matthew 23, 4, you put a yoke on people, a burden on people that they can't even bear, that, that they can't even carry. And you see, if, if religion is weighing you down, it's not the yoke of Jesus before, for sure, because Jesus came to make this stuff light. He came to make it easy. He came to lift off requirements and to elevate freedom, to elevate relationship. There's a great example of this. Uh, maybe one more example, and then I'll get in kind of to the meat of the teaching. In Acts chapter 15, there is this big question that is on the table. Acts chapter 15, the doctrine of salvation and thousands of years of tradition are being discussed in Jerusalem by what we now know as the Jerusalem Council. It's being headed up by James, who is Jesus's little brother, who is at that time the de facto official leader of, of all of Christendom. 
and all of the other leaders of the early church are there. And they are discussing the question, do men need to be circumcised if they're coming from a Gentile faith? Do they need to be circumcised or from a Gentile lack of faith or from a Gentile paganism? Do they need to be circumcised in order to be saved? Now, this was a massive question because if you remember way back, the founder of our faith or the father of our faith, Abraham, the sign that God gave him to mark that he was starting a new movement, a new line, a new lineage, that he was going to multiply his seed throughout all the earth, the founder of our faith, he had been given the sign of circumcision. This had been repeatedly confirmed throughout all of the Old Testament. When God called Moses through the burning bush, the first sign that he gave to him is he said, you need to go circumcise your son, and he did. When God called Joshua uh, to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan River after Moses had died, right when they got across the Jordan River, the first thing that they did was they had a covenant renewal ceremony, and they circumcised all of the men who were now of age who had not been circumcised when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. We see this occur over and over throughout all of the scripture. We see that Jesus himself was brought into the temple on the eighth day, as was every other Jewish male to be circumcised. That was kind of this outward expression of the covenant that God had made with his people. The men were circumcised. So on the table in Acts 15 is, does this fundamental requirement that has been a requirement for thousands of years still need to be done? And here's the decision that they make in Acts 15. And and this is astounding is the leaders get together and they say, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Seems. (laughs) Now you're talking, you've got the biggest shots in all of Christian history. You've got men there who walked with Jesus while he was on the earth. You've got people there who were related to him by blood, and they say with all of this wisdom that they had access to, It seems, it seems like there is this humility where they're saying, I really believe we're doing the right thing. At the end of the day, we're doing the best we can. It seems good to us not to lay on any other burdens upon you except for, now if you read the text there, they talk about sexual morality. So guys, stay with one woman They talk about meat sacrifice to idols, which would have been a pagan way of worship. And they say to remember the poor. And they say upon this, no other burden. What do they do? They bind requirements and they loosen other things. You see, they bring in this freedom. They interpret it. Jesus had given his disciples, hey, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you bind here, hey, we're not going to require circumcision on earth. And Jesus has already looked at him and said, okay, yeah, I've already said. Back when it's here on earth, I've already said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you listen. I mean, it is this trust that he gives his followers to make it easy. That's what Paul said, Galatians 5.1. 
It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't go live under a yoke of slavery. What's he talking about? It's for freedom Christ set you free. Don't go stack up a bunch of religious rules and add a burden with all this religious hoop jumping. Be busy about connecting with your Heavenly Father and be busy about helping others live the life they've been given. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to make life difficult. Life's already difficult as it is. Let's carry each other's burdens, not create more religious burdens. There's an incredible story of this, and uh, maybe this is kind of where I want to start winding it down. Um, I've read this story multiple times where Jesus gives his first sermon, and then after that, he ends up going to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, or Simon Peter's house, and Simon Peter's mother-in-law's there. She's sick with a fever. You see this in Matthew chapter 8. You see it in the book of Mark. You see this one all throughout the Gospels. And the scripture says this, that he went to the house, and Simon Peter's mother-in-law was sick, probably sick. This is kind of my, my hypothesis here. Kind of sick, I think, on her deathbed. It says that he heals her, and immediately, she gets up and she begins serving them. So she exercises hospitality. She feeds Jesus and she feeds the disciples and feeds the women who would have been traveling with them in that time. There was this honorage that kind of went around with Jesus. And then the scripture says, everybody who was there around in the city heard it. And then it said, at sundown, at sundown, everybody gathered together so that there was no room even at the door, and he healed them all. I'd always kind of looked at that verse. I've taught that passage a lot, and it, I will always emphasize the Jesus healed them all part. And if you've been here and listened, you know that we kind of draw out the word there of therapeuo, like Jesus has done... All of these miracles in that whole Matthew 8 passage, he's, he's healed a leper, he's healed other people, he's, he's done a miracle there with Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and then he therapeutos, he teaches how to be well, he teaches everybody in the city there in the town how to be well. I want to emphasize something else though, notice it was the Sabbath, and it says at sundown people all came, and then they were healed. Why? Because on the Sabbath, they were prohibited from going and coming. On the Sabbath, they couldn't get access to Jesus. On the Sabbath, the rules, the rituals, the things they obeyed kept them at that point far from God. Now, do you see it instantly at sundown? They all go there. They're all healed. They're all taught how to live well, all taught how to be well. But before that, they couldn't connect with each other. They couldn't connect with God in the flesh who is right there among them. They couldn't receive the help that was so much needed. Why? Because somewhere people had taken 10 words to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That, that, was, the, that was the word, was, was 
to remember to honor this day, to set apart this day is different. And you would think of all things that could happen on that day. I mean, Jesus heals people on the Sabbath repeatedly all of the time. He's in the synagogue healing lepers. In fact, in that story, if you read it just a few verses up in Matthew chapter 8, he heals a leper on that day. He's healing people on the Sabbath repeatedly. The women with flow of blood on the Sabbath. Okay, the lame man on the Sabbath. Blind people on the Sabbath. People over and over. Lepers on the Sabbath. And repeatedly the Pharisees are angry with him because he's healing people on the Sabbath. On this day, the people couldn't come and get the access that they needed, even though Jesus is obviously fine healing people on the Sabbath. Why? Because men somewhere had turned 10 words into 613 bigger rules and then had created commentary, oral tradition, on those rules called the Mishnah. And then they added the Talmud, the written expressions around the oral tradition around that. And then they added more fences and hedges to protect the very things that they were using to keep people in were actually now keeping people in. Out And because of that, God was in people's midst right there among them, walking among them in the house, physically down the street, and people had to wait. Here's what is so odd is when you read the New Testament, Paul says in Colossians 3 that a lot of times religious rules and religious-based relationship, they look ironically very much the same. The key is just the motivation and what's going on. You know, Jesus didn't teach a new text. He was teaching the same text, the same scripture that all the Pharisees and scribes and everybody else that was doing the 613 plus the Mishnah plus the Talmud plus the fences and the hedges were teaching. He just had made it freeing and had life and energy and vitality inside of it. Paul says religious legalism, a lot of times it looks wise, but it can't bring that life. It brings a barrier. Instead of bringing people in close, it actually pushes people away. What's the point? The point is this, and I end with this. Jesus came to make it easy. Now, life, I I would expect it to be hard. He he said, you you in this world will have trouble. John 16, 33, you you will have trouble. It will be difficult. Life is, as we say so often, life is beautiful. Life is also, oh, it is hard sometimes, right? relationships, they're hard, illness and sickness, and man, we've been through that this year, hard. Dealing with surgeries and, you know, the life-threatening stuff, we've been through that this year, that's hard. Dealing with pandemics and politics, no matter what side of the equation that you're on, no matter where you sit on the aisle, hard. Raising kids, Starting a business, climbing out of debt, maintaining your health, especially as you get older, hard. Just keeping focused on the most important things and not growing weary and doing good, hard. That's going to be hard. But don't add burdens to other people. As Paul says, man, bear one another's burdens 
and fulfill the law of love, that's the part where it circles back to the law of love. Jesus came to make those things easy, connecting with other people easy, connecting with him even easier, living the life of overflow from that, sometimes difficult. That's why we keep the access to him, keep the access to each other easy. Take my yoke upon you, he says, because my yoke, my system of teaching, my way of doing life, my way of teaching, it's easy because in this world, there's enough trouble to go around. So let's make this burden light. My prayer for you as I sign off is that the Lord would bless you. The Lord would keep you. He would give grace to you to endure the tough stuff that is going on, especially during the season. Holiday season is a time when it is so difficult because we have the presence and the reality of the past expectations that now aren't true, right? On so many levels of what we thought would happen. We thought what this would look like with family and memory and so many of these things just kind of crash in. This is a hard time for so many people. So give grace, and whenever you come in contact with them, make it easy. My prayer for you is that it would be easy, because Jesus' burden, his yoke, easy, light, grace, peace. I'll see you soon.